We don't teach people how to communicate. Paint the sky your favorite color. Your favorite color. Okay. Uh, so I'm Martin. Uh, I'm a software developer with uh, ThoughtWorks, uh, currently in Sydney, Australia. Uh, that's me. Hi, I, I'm Emma Humphreys. Uh, I'm an engineering program manager at the Mozilla Corporation. Uh, I live in San Jose, California. Hi, my name is Sarah Withy, and I'm a software developer that works at a bank in the Midwest, and I live in Kansas City, Missouri. And I'm Russell Hay. Uh, I work for Tableau Software as a software engineer, and I am in Seattle. So this episode is going to be just about origin stories. Um, whenever we were getting together to talk about what we wanted to do on the podcast, we figured this is a great way to start, um, is just talk about where we came from, to talk about how they got into tech, and just kind of the path that they took to get where they are today. Martin has an interesting story, so he should go first. Because I've, I've seen part of it. Thanks. Um, okay, so um, my sort of coming to tech story is quite long and rambling. So humor me and stop me as you need to. Uh, so originally I'm from small town England. And when I left school, I trained to be a carpenter, uh, which I quite liked. Um, but I didn't really care for the people that I worked with very much. Uh, and I always wanted to do something that was more about people, uh, which led to me um, training in a completely different industry. So uh, I was a registered nurse um, and I worked uh, at various different levels in, in healthcare, probably for about 15 years um, to the point where, you know, when I moved on from healthcare, I was uh, the director of surgical services in a hospital. Along this journey, I, I started getting really, really angry with the kind of shitty technology that I had to deal with. So, you know, working in health, there's so much of this stuff that's like horrible enterprise Java applications from the, you know, early to mid nineties that haven't had much work done on them. Uh, horrible interfaces, very slow, clunky, uh, and not really what you want as a, as a frontline um, healthcare professional. Uh, you, you know, you don't want nurses dealing with this shitty software. Um, and I, as a leader in that industry, uh, wanted good information um, so that we could, um, you know, provide more and better care for people uh, at smaller prices. So I started uh, playing around with Excel and, and these little access databases and eventually graduated to SQL. Um, and I started wanting to poke around with data and, you know, I'm like, we, we collect all of this information. Um, how can I use it? And in the particular context that I was working in was uh, operating rooms. And it's really difficult to schedule, to, to plan for, you know, how long particular surgeries are going to take. And there's so many different variables in it. Um, but I put together a little bit of sister, a bit of, bit of a system that was um, uh, basically a bunch of SQL queries that helped us to predict how long a surgery was going to take given a particular combination of surgeon and anesthetic doctor. Um, and it was really good. Um, you know, I wasn't trying to uh, do anything really fancy because scheduling is such a difficult problem. But when we could give people information and say, hey, you know, Mrs. Smith, Mr. Jones, um, 
you know, you've submitted this list of surgery that you want to undertake. And, you know, according to our system, we think that that's going to take three hours longer than you have available time. So we sort of worked this process where we openly shared the amount of time that surgeries took with these people and got them and their administrative staff to plan things better. So that openness, that transparency of information was really, really cool. Um, And as a result, we ended up doing uh, 10% more surgery uh, in the subsequent year without increasing staff. Uh, In fact, we reduced our overtime bills very, very significantly. Uh, People were going home on time. uh, And it was because we had this transparent data. Uh, And then I'm like, well, it would be nice to be able to share this information with people and how can I present it? And and then I um, committed a terrible, terrible sin uh, because I learned PHP, which which I I have uh, been informed I've been pronouncing incorrectly as well because apparently it's not pronounced PHP. The correct correct pronunciation is um, yeah. So I learned PHP and then started like building these little websites and um, these little ways of present information and then from there I learned Ruby on Rails and I'm like this stuff's really cool and I really enjoy it and I want to be able to hang out with other people that want to like talk shit about tech. Loved it. Uh, so I reinvigorated the Ruby community in Perth because it had existed but it kind of gone to sleep and I became the organizer for that. Um, then got involved in Rails Girls which was amazing because I'm like I've learned a thing and I'd love to share it with other people who you know, I want to feel welcome uh, and to help them get into the tech industry. Um, and as a result of that, I kind of got introduced to ThoughtWorks. And after, you know, a year or two, we had some conversations and somehow they employed me. Um, and that's how I got into tech. <laughs> that's that's a great story. Um, what was the biggest challenge uh, that you faced in making the transition from, you know, just doing the Excel and Access databases Uh, to learning PHP and then uh, moving on to ThoughtWorks? The biggest challenge uh, for me was this enormous sense of I'm probably not good enough. You know, like, like what, what does it look like to do this stuff professionally? Like, what, what are the skills that that I'm lacking? Uh, And I, you know, basically thought that I couldn't do it. Um, But I just, devoured everything that I could get my hands on. You know, I bought books on on Ruby and sort of algorithms and, you know, I started contributing to open source projects. That was another big thing, you know, like submitting my first pull request to, um, you know, it was to the um, to the Ruby Cohen's, uh, which is, you know, kind of famous in the Ruby world. It was something that, that was done by Jim Wyrick, who was like this celebrity in the Ruby world who, who sadly died uh, recently. But, but, you know, the first ever pull request that I had merged into a project was by Jim Wyrick. And I was like, wow, yay, like this is amazing. Um, I also listened to podcasts a lot. Like the so the Ruby Rogues podcast was one of the um, one of the best things that I discovered because he is this group of people who really love tech, really love programming, but they're also like good human beings. Uh, and care about sort of making that community accessible and welcoming um, to new people. And it was just really inspiring. Um, yeah. And, and eventually I sort of had this conversation with somebody that I knew from ThoughtWorks. And, and, and basically they, um, somebody put out a tweet 
that said, hey, we're looking for cool people to work with us in ThoughtWorks Perth. And I was like, well, I think I'm a cool people. Um, maybe I could work with them. So I, I emailed this guy that I knew there, and I'm like, hey, there's somebody that I've never met from ThoughtWorks, blah, 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 sent in this tweet. What do you think? Do you think maybe I could do that? And he was like, yeah, why not? I've seen the code that you write. It's awesome. And I'm like, oh, okay, maybe I can do this. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we had a coffee, and then there's like 7,000 interviews and a test and a programming exercise and all kinds of crazy stuff with ThoughtWorks, which is a far more sophisticated um, recruitment process than the sort of 15-minute telephone interview that I had to be the director of surgical services. That seems that seems kind of scary, the, the fact that there's less yeah. of an interview process for surgical services. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I think... Uh, a significant part of that is that a lot of the um, sort of competency and monitoring is handed over to the national licensing boards. So there's yeah. um, a, a bit less need to sort of test your um, technical abilities and stuff because, you know, uh, that is to some degree taken care of. I guess that makes sense. Okay. One of the things that struck me is that the, the first thing you did out of the box was uh, go after a, a real problem, but that you did it in a data-driven manner. And I just love that. That was, you know, I was just grinning as you were describing that. It's like, I want to be able to do that. <laughs> that with every problem is is find a great problem that it makes that's amenable to solving that way. Yeah, and it, and it, and it drove me insane that, that we had all of this data that we were collecting uh, and nobody used it because nobody had access to it because it was it was in a SQL database, right? Which is great. Like if you give anybody that knows how to SQL uh, access to that, um, they can do stuff with it. But um, most healthcare professionals just don't know. And why would they? We have to do a show about dashboards because I'm, I'm becoming more increasingly fascinated with dashboards. I can talk about that at length. That's, that's what I do pretty much day in, day out is data visualization. I would love to talk to you more about that because that's one of the things that uh, I did is like I sent out an email today to the Firefox engineering team saying, I want to see all your dashboards because I'm trying to find better ways of doing, uh, of measuring and understanding how we're handling bugs. And this is sort of like, this is a giant open source project that's been around for 25 years in one form or another. And that I'm getting a little bit, that I'm getting ahead of myself and, and getting off a topic. Well, that's actually a good segue into how did you get into tech, Emma? I got into tech uh, through a very circuitous route. Um, I graduated from high school in 1982. Um, I am a middle-aged queer lady. Um, and I went to University of Texas at Austin and applied to the computers. Uh, actually, I applied to Plan 2, which was the honors program. And I had been accepted into the honors program, but I wanted to study computer science. But the computer science department said, we're not going to guarantee you classes if you're signed up for plan two. You have to declare your major or we won't let you in. So that was a mistake because I should have stayed with plan two because I bounced right out of computer science. Uh, the course, the classes were huge. There was, you know, again, this is before personal computers were all over the place. So you had to wait until the middle of the night to sit down and enter your program into a terminal. Um, it was awful. It was, uh, if you're familiar with state universities and how they do weed out of engineers in, you know, in, you know, things like mechanical engineering programs, 
CompSci in the early 80s and state universities was the same thing. Um, so I bounced out of that. I just couldn't deal with it. And I said, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I like math. So I went into math. And then, you know, my family was asking me, well, how on earth are you going to make money off of this? And my father said, you know, you like to argue and you like math. Maybe you should study economics. Because my father and I would argue policy stuff all the time. It was from a place of love. Um, he was involved in public policy. So, yes, <laughs> that was a guest appearance by Lydia the Kidia. Um, so I finished my undergraduate degree in economics and went to graduate school at the University of Wisconsin at Madison. Uh, and my interest there was in um, in the structure of markets. So I was studying industrial organization. But... My first graduate assistantship was not in the economics department. It was in the computer science department because they saw, oh, you know how to program. So they put me in a lab where I was uh, helping people write Pascal programs for the introdu introductory comp sci courses. And I would be studying my, doing my economics homework while debugging uh, Pascal code. <laughs> so, and then from there on, it just sort of built up. I, I had, uh, I tried being a teaching assistant. I didn't enjoy it. I got poor reviews. So um, I ended up writing code for people. I wrote primarily Fortran code, uh, some SPSS and some SAS, if you're familiar with some of the statistics packages that were popular then. I lived on a VAX terminal. And at some point I was doing an internship or excuse me, an assistantship for the law school and a professor there who was trying to understand the shape of litigation. And this is this will come important later. Um, he had a big block of data that he'd gotten from the federal courts and needed to identify plaintiffs in it. These were all big freeform text fields. And there's Sarah. Hi. Uh, and these are freeform text fields, and Fortran was not going to cut it. I had a friend who was a computer science PhD student who said, "You need to look at this thing called Perl." Mind you, this is now this is like 1991. And I go, what's Perl? And he literally sent me the binary and dropped it on my home directory on the VAX cluster. And then I had to go to the university co-op and order a copy of the Camel book. And I basically studied that thing like it was holy writ and wrote all my analysis, basic analysis programs uh, to extract and identify corporate plaintiffs in this database, in this uh, big file of data, data, and then proceeded to do that analysis. Now, at this point, I'd been in grad school for a while and the job market was abysmal. A friend of mine suggested that I come work for his firm, which was an economic consulting firm in Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, and I worked for them for, uh, for a few years and they said, well, why aren't you going to go finish your PhD? Because we're, your title is, is senior economist. And I said, well, I'm a Fortran programmer, dears. I, you know, I'm not really an economist. And they said, well, that's true. So maybe you should find another job. And so we, it was not that awful, but we came to an amicable split. They gave me, you know, six months to finish up the projects I was working on. And the web came along because this is now 94, 95. And I was like, ex you know, I was excited. So the other thing was going on in there. Uh, that I missed before. Before I learned Perl, I learned about fanzines and things called amateur press associations because I got involved in science fiction fandom in Madison, uh, the WISCON convention, the you know the uh, a big feminist science fiction convention that I've been going to now for the better part of thirty years. Um, 
and there was a group of people in Madison who did an APA. So an APA is like LiveJournal without the server. Literally, you have a list of friends, usually about 30 people. Every month, you do a zine. The zine is at least one page. You include any new original pieces you want, as well as mailing comments on the previous issues directed at the other members of the APA. And then you take this to Kinko's and make 30 photocopies of it, send it into the organizing editor. Then they would collate it and send it back out. So it's basically, it's, it's live journal with, with, uh, with latency. So once I found out about the web, I was like going, wait a minute, we can do all of our FANAC online. This would be incredible. FANAC, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm using jargon. Fandom activities. So that's running fanzines, writing slash, running conventions, squeeing online about Doctor Who or Supergirl or whatever else. Else is all FANAC. Um, so at the idea, this notion of fandom being an online thing was very new. Of course, now I think most people get into fandom through online, and the notion of doing printed fanzines is quite extraordinary to them. To them. So I had the web show up. I knew Pearl. I was interested in fanish activities and self-publishing and all, and I jumped into that with both feet. I got introduced to some people over at Madison Newspapers, which ran, which is the umbrella corporation that ran. Uh, the Capital Times and the Wisconsin State Journal, basically the liberal and conservative newspapers in the state capital. And I started doing uh, publishing. I basically wrote Jekyll in Pearl with flat files instead of Markdown. Um, the the uh, editors of the Weekend, weekend Guide would uh, send me a comma-separated file that they extract out of Excel. And then I wrote Pearl scripts with templates to... And I didn't have, I mean, the templates were embedded there. This was before template toolkit. I probably at the time didn't even understand really what a template system was. Um, but we'd crank that comma separated file through and generate a whole bunch of pages. We also did some uh, some fake searching because we didn't have C, we didn't even have CGI. We were just statically publishing pages to this uh, Silicon Graphics IRIX server because Silicon Graphics is what you bought back in the early 90s if you wanted to have a web server. Uh, so that's basically how I got into tech because a few months after that, I get this email from a person in California at this thing called the Electric Power Research Institute saying, we've seen your work online. We like it. Come out to California and be a producer. I'm like, what do you mean, producer? Well, it's like we have lots of web content that contractors build, and we need someone to make sense of it and, and, and get the contractors to follow style guides. And it's like, you're asking me to come to California. I am so there. And, and that's how I got into tech. No, I'm, I'm just loving um, hearing, you know, so we're on sort of our second introduction to tech, uh, and that was not a straightforward CS degree into tech approach either uh and and as an aside uh at one point i tried to do a cs degree uh whilst i was still nursing and um, they tried to make me java and i was like no nah, i'm not doing this so i'm glad we didn't have java back in 1982 <laughs> i would have probably just thrown myself off of a <laughs> off the congress street bridge or something i don't know <laughs> Oh, I'm glad that didn't happen. So um, you sort of described your journey up to getting into tech. Uh, um, maybe you could tell us a little bit about what you're doing now. So what am I doing now? So um, I've been working at Linden Lab, uh, the company that makes Second Life, uh, for about three years. And this is back from 2007, 2010. Uh, I got caught in a layoff 
I had started as a programmer, but got into project management because I felt like that was the area where I could contribute more. To work on the real core product, you had to be a really understand C++. And that was stuff that I was not particularly interested in dealing with, but I was, I was enjoying the project management aspects of it. And the things I really enjoyed about it was dealing with large groups of, with, with not large groups, but different groups of people. I was dealing with Second Life users who we called residents. I was dealing with lots of engineers. I was dealing with legal and other groups. And that was exciting to me and I was having a grand time. But then after the layoffs, I sort of tucked my tail between my legs and said, I'm going to go back to being a coder because that's probably safer. And so I worked for five years as a coder and I was just absolutely miserable, absolutely miserable. Um, and this also probably has to do also with the fact that I was also having severe gender dysphoria the whole time of that. And there's a whole other, we can talk about second life and dysphoria on another episode if you want. Um, and so I went, the company I was working at this summer, which was a startup in Mountain View that was building applications for Android phones to turn them into remote controls. I just basically gave up and I said, I can't do this anymore. I want to do something. And originally my plan was to do something in dealing with names because, and this is the thing, Martin, we should, I would love to talk to you further about names and medical software because uh, when you change your name, that gets complicated. Or in you, if you're in that liminal state between saying, well, I know that I'm transitioning gender and I got all my legal documentation in place. So my insurance card matches who I am. That's another, you know, that's another area. And originally I was going to try to find work in that because what had happened is that my partner, my wife, Cynthia said, well, what is it? What was the thing that you're most happy about doing? When, and I told her I was happiest at Linden when I was being doing a project manager. And she said, well, you need to become a project manager again. And so I started, a, you know, I took the summer off and did a long search. An opportunity came up at, um, with Mozilla Corporation. Um, and it was like, oh, I get to talk to large numbers of engineers. It's distributed work. I get to probably also interface with Mozilla volunteers and users. This is totally me. And so I applied and was offered the position and I started getting of November. It, like I, I said earlier, there's 25 years plus of history. I don't know if there's still any old mosaic and NCSA mosaic code in, inside of Firefox, but it's a big code base and it's a, you know, and it's an organization that has history and archaeology and I'm still finding my way through it. So uh, I guess I'll go next. Uh, I'm actually, my, my entry to, to tech is actually pretty short. So um Got a computer when I was seven um, and absolutely fell in love with it. Uh, it was a Commodore 64. And then uh, from there, continued on the Commodore Amiga route um, until uh, I went to my senior year in high school. Um, that's when I started getting introduced to uh, Unix and uh, actually Vax BMS um, in, uh, in high school also. Um, we, I went to a boarding school that was on a college campus, and so we had access to their Vax system, plus we had our own uh, Ultrix machine. Uh, it was a uh, Dexstation 5000. Um, and through sheer tenacity on my part, I convinced the faculty member that I should be the admin on the Dexstation. Um, and that was pretty much the start of, I would say, the mischievous side of me. Um, and then from high school and through uh, college, uh, I did a bunch of security stuff. Um, and uh, I just, I got into a knack of breaking things. Um, and so 
I actually started off doing um, some kernel development uh, for a company here in Seattle whenever I decided that having a CS degree was kind of pointless. And so I dropped out and moved up to Seattle randomly. Um, and then I got a job and have been doing uh, either either testing or um, as a software developer for the entire well, last 20 years or so. Um, and I switch back and forth between doing test or dev, depending on what's needed. Um, and I'm one of those weird people who actually likes C++. Okay, I'm not saying that it's weird to like C++. It's just C, C was one of those things that I just sort of felt entirely at C on. Peace. But yeah, Peace. that's me in, in a nutshell. So um, I'm, I'm kind of interested in um, what it is that you like about C++. Um, so what do I like about C++? Um, I spent a lot of time uh, in Python, so I'll just preface that with C++ isn't my only language. Um, but there's something for me, um, because I like working with embedded systems and hardware and stuff, like just it's fun to tinker. Um, and it goes back to the I like to break things. It's the the being that low level and crunchy um, just really appeals to me. I it's something about my personality. I don't know. Um, I enjoy it. Like I, the reason that I am recording from work tonight is because I spent hours soldering a little device that has a little microcontroller that you control and see, and it has LEDs and an accelerometer, so it makes pretty blinky lights. And I like blinky lights. And and who doesn't like pretty blinky blinky lights? Is that an Arduino? Um, it is Arduino compatible. It's a it's a uh, Teensy LC is the um, and then it's NeoPixels on little thing. So for the people who can't see the video, because uh, that's most of you, um, I am shaking a little LED ring and it's get it gets brighter as I shake it harder. So Sarah, do you want to give your origin story? Oh sure. Um, so when I was little, my parents had a Commodore 64, kind of like uh, you just mentioned, and uh, our Probably my first real memory was um, they sat me and my sister down and actually taught us to type our names on there. And um, eventually, once we were uh, a little bit older, they'd actually taught us the command to run a game. And I thought the command was really interesting because it didn't really make a lot of sense, like load quote, star quote, comma, eight, comma, one. And I'm like, well, what's all that mean? So computers back then came with really fat instruction manuals. So I actually took the instruction manual and started reading it, figured out what all the numbers meant, star everything, and found out there was a whole bunch of other commands. You could, so I started typing those in, and the computer did everything I told it to, and just always found it really fascinating that the computer could just, you know, help me do things. And um, I would have it write programs to just start counting up to infinity, and at the time I never really thought too much that I would actually reach an upper limit and stop. But um, it, it just always fascinated me. I was like the little tiny kid that'd go to the library and my sister would go to like Nancy Drew books and I would go to the computer book section and <laughs> check out all these big fat computer books. And it still just fascinated through me through middle school and high school and just kind of knew computer science was the direction I wanted to go when I got to college. Um, it was also probably about high school when the depression that I had started to get a lot worse and um, eventually got me to a point where what I call the first round of college, um, I just got to a point where my brain just, I felt like it stopped. Like just all the things I enjoyed about working 
computers weren't really a thing I enjoyed doing anymore. And um, the depression all stemmed from basically gender issues. So um, I'm transgender. And at the time, I kind of thought, well, maybe I'm just a feminine guy or something like that. Um, It really took years to kind of figure out the resources weren't terribly great in the late 90s, early 2000s. Um, when I was graduating high school and starting to go into college. Um, so I ended up dropping out of college after a few more months, eventually started on hormones as kind of a last resort because I couldn't seem to fix my gender issues. So I guess I had to kind of deal with them and eventually uh, start transitioning, which was great because it did help me um, blossom and help the depression start to go away. And I did find enjoyment in working on computer projects again. So once I realized like my brain was working again, I was actually enjoying learning things. Um, I actually found out uh, one of my friends was deaf from the first round of college. So I started teaching myself sign language. And once I realized like there's about 300 words I knew and could actually carry conversations in it, I realized like, huh, well, maybe my brain's working and it's time to go back to school and get my degree. So this is 2011 that I started back at school and really just kind of hoped I could get in, get the degree somehow and leave, um, and then eventually just get a job somehow, somewhere. I didn't really care where. I just wanted to be a software developer. And much to my surprise, I ended up getting really involved in extracurriculars. I joined a robotics team where I helped um, program a lot of the hardware we were putting on our robots. I joined uh, some programming competition teams where, you know, they gave us a packet of problems and we had to solve them as fast as we could. Um, And all this stuff was just fascinating. And I was getting more and more involved. I joined the Society of Women Engineers, um, things like that. So probably one of the best things that happened to me was I got recommended for a lab instructor position at school. So they decided to take the C++ class that people weren't doing well in and make it a lab and a lecture instead of just a lecture. And so I got to teach some of the labs. Um, and through that, I sort of came well, started to learn how to um, do public speaking type things. And um, I was doing that while I was in school. Um, my last year of school, they actually had an adjunct teacher drop out to teach the lecture. And they actually put me into that position. So I was teaching the intro to C++ class at the same time I was finishing my undergrad, um, which is pretty amazing, but absolutely exhausting. But um, in May of this year, I finally graduated at the ripe age of 32. But um, I'm really thankful because not only did I actually finally get to graduate, but I got to deal with um, all the gender issues and fought the depression. you know, ultimately became a not just a happier person, but a much more successful person. I feel like I have a big list of accomplishments for you know, as relatively new to the industry as I am. I'm really proud of that. So now I got, uh, within two weeks, I started my first software developer job at a bank in the Midwest. Um, it's going really good and they love me there. And I'm able to continue to do outside activities like conference speaking and mentoring high schoolers and stuff like that. Awesome. I think so. Oh, it's totally. To- uh, totally. I, I, so I'm, I'm seeing there's two sorts of sets of stories here. So there's the folks who came in through a genuine interest in, in computers and hacking and exploration. Then there's the two of us who came in with, here's a problem. And oh, my God, I think if I throw a computer at this problem, it will it will solve it or help solve it. Yeah, I, I, it's it's um, I guess it's one of the sort of big hang-ups that I had personally 
um, coming into tech was, hey, I haven't done a CS degree. Is there a place for me? You know, can I do this? Like, you know, I, I write some stuff. It works, but I'm not good enough. Um, and, I, and I have to say, I, I'm still interested in studying CS more in, a, in an academic sense. Um, but I'm not sure that the um, style of teaching of CS, at least here in Australia, would be that advantageous to me. Uh, and, and to the industry because I, I look at the courses and the things that are being taught and the way that they're being taught. I'm like, that that really just doesn't feel like what it's about. You know, there's whole semesters about requirements gathering and, and you know, it's all still very waterfall, enterprisey stuff. And, and I, I don't know, I'd be interested to hear what other people think about this um, conceptually. Well, one of the things for me, like the reason that I left my degree program and moved and got a job is because I realized that my degree program was not setting me up to be a successful professional programmer. It was setting me up to become a teacher. Like if I wanted to follow through and become a research professor, that's really what my, at least at the time that I was taking it, um, you know, this was mid to late nineties. Um, that's what they were setting me up for. They were not setting me up for becoming a professional uh, programmer, developer. Um, and so for me, I just realized that and I'm like, well, I'm going to get better experience and better knowledge by just going and doing rather than sitting here and learning something that isn't applicable to what I'm going to be. I think there's also this thing and I think it's a, it's really bad in the valley. I don't know if it's getting better or not, but there's sort of the way that we interview that that is basically not as much as interviewing you to find out whether or not you can write software, but interviewing you to see if you have uh, taken the same classes as the interviewer. And sort of that notion of, oh, yes, uh, we're hiring from, you know, we're hiring from Harvard, MIT, Carnegie Mellon, University of Michigan, Stanford, and Cal. And if you took the courses there, you'll be able to answer the interview questions. And I think it cuts off. Uh, the thing I was really lucky is that I came into this in the 1990s and none of us knew exactly what the hell we were doing. And we didn't have gatekeepers in place. And, and now it's like trans, tra trans women and trans men and genderqueer people talk about WPATH, uh, which is basically a set of guidelines for medical care for people who are transitioning. And it sets up lots of gatekeepers. You know, ask a trans woman how she feels about gatekeepers and you will get an earful. And I feel like the same way with our, our hiring processes in the Valley are, are like those gatekeepers. It's like, you know, perform these tricks for me and I will let you through to the next level instead of, hey, here's a simple programming problem. Can you do it? Demonstrate to me you can write code. Then let's figure out if you're the right match for this. So I, I find that... Um... That really interesting, and there's definitely some parts of it that I really agree with. Um, one of the things that I see as as a real failing are these sort of algorithm-based interviews. I think that that is an important component that, that we should sort of uh, ensure that people can write code. But there's also um, something that I think is much more important in hiring, at least from my perspective, and how we uh, make the industry welcoming and diverse is that there's something about cultural fit. There's something about, you know, do, do you have empathy? You know, can you um, give and respond to feedback in ways that aren't destructive to a team? 
you know, or are you, you know, the the amazing crack sort of techie uh, smart person who is also a bit of an asshole? Um, and and I, I think it's it's really important to try and get that balance. I think for me, I learned. Well, I did a lot of self teaching in high school in the first round of college. I taught myself PHP by reading some books. I taught um, myself basic from, you know, like QBasic and all those in high school. And I knew I probably could have found a job, but for me, it was really important that I felt like I got the breadth of the college education that I could learn like all the advanced things that I thought would help me do better. Um, Because I knew I could write like little small programs, but I really wanted to do lot more advanced things. I wanted to get into sciencey things or mathy things or just things where I got to play with data and things like that. I don't know how to describe it, I guess, but um so for me it was important to actually get the degree. Why I ended up going back and I had to retake some of the classes after transferring, but um it just ended up being important to me and I'm pretty glad I did it. I think what our conversation really kind of sums up is that everyone has a different path. Everyone has gotten to where they are in completely and totally different ways. Um, And understanding that I think is the first step in understanding the person is how they got where they are and how they got to be the person that they are, right? Yeah. I always love hearing stories from various people. And, you know, it fascinates me that some people were kind of like me and started learning tech things early on and some people weren't like i have i know both english degrees theater degrees chemistry degrees all sorts of stuff but i I think it's cool that they still ended up in tech we um recently uh with the client that i've been working with i've had a a situation yesterday where some feedback was shared um, with the group in a way that you know caused me to feel offended Uh, some other people in that group uh but I was really, really happy with how that was dealt with. Um, and in the uh, how to be a better person thing, uh, we had this great conversation about how to uh, better give feedback, how, how to receive feedback without um, causing offense and upsetting people. Um, so I've got a, a blog post that I um, wrote and we shared with the team um, about giving and receiving feedback in ways that doesn't destroy Uh, relationships and friendships. I think that is a great way to end the episode. Um, We will drop the link to that uh, in the show notes. Um, Before we go, does anybody have anything else to add? Working at a company where uh, we have people all over the world from all kinds of backgrounds, communication is absolutely critical. So I think learning, we don't teach people how to communicate. And we need to do a better job of that in our in our technical education because you can be, like you said, you can be the best programmer in the world, but if you're an absolute pain to work with, nobody's going to want to work with you. I think I might add in that, you know, because we discussed several different stories and all of them had some similarities, but were very different still, to just keep that in mind as you work with your coworkers. Um, you know, sometimes differences in how they got to the place that they are could affect the various ways they tackle problems or affect the amount of knowledge that they have on certain uh, issues or components of the software. So just always be mindful of that and keep that. You have been listening to the LGBTQ Tech Podcast. Show notes are available at lgbtq.fm slash one. Intro music was Paint the Sky by Dysfunctional Owl, licensed under the Creative Commons license.